1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has pleased. Look with me over in verse 27. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And Father, we humbly ask for the help and the grace of your Holy Spirit now as we continue in our worship in this time by opening the word of God, just wanting to hear a word from you, Lord, that you would speak things that we need to hear individually and collectively as the family of God. So we ask that you'd prepare us and your spirit would now speak to us. And we pray this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it is a natural human need as well as a natural desire to want to feel like we're a part of something. To want to feel a degree of connection, to experience connection, to know that others care about us and are there to support us and to help us in times of need, as well as to kind of think as well and balance to know that we are also needed in some way by others and that we have some part to play or that we contribute something that helps other people. I think both of them are important. And I think, honestly, there is no greater way to experience that than to be, first of all, connected to the Lord, which also then makes us, as it should, spiritually connected to his church, that is, to the family of God. And that's really what this section is addressing, emphasizing for those of us who have entered into God's family through salvation, through Christ, who have become sons and daughters of God, biblically and spiritually, who are now part of the church, the family of God, that everybody's part matters. And that's really what Paul's trying to emphasize in this section here. Again, remember the main focus, chapters 11 all the way through 14, is about properly relating to one another as we assemble ourselves together as the people of God. That as we come together in gatherings and assemble ourselves, that we would properly relate towards one another. As Christians, we do have an individual walk with Christ. That is absolutely true. Uh, you and I must personally have a relationship with Jesus and we have a personal responsibility to pick up our own mat and to walk with Jesus. And that's something only we can do. But yet we're supposed to at the same time simultaneously as Christians do life together. Biblically, we are to function as a unit, not independently. By God's specific design, we are to operate together with other Christians we're to live interconnected in relational connection, assembling ourselves with regularity, spending time together, interacting, and doing our Christian experience interdependent upon one another. That is actually God's design for a healthy spiritual life. And Paul's going to further illustrate this now using the imagery of many body parts operating in that interdependent way upon each other, each offering its share as well as each receiving what it needs from the other parts of the body. So look with me again as Paul begins the section here in verse 12. He says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So the human body and how it operates, the Bible says, is this beautiful picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ operates on earth in this time through his followers. 
Now that Jesus has come, died upon the cross, resurrected and ascended back into heaven, he is still alive and he is still operating. He is still ministering. And Jesus once lived on this earth in a physical frame. And he ministered amongst us for a good 30 plus years. Jesus took a body of flesh on this earth and through that physical body, he spoke with a literal physical voice. He used his hands to touch people. His physical feet took him to places where he wanted to go to minister to different individuals. And Jesus, through a time, ministered through a physical body. Now he's ascended back into heaven, but yet his spirit is now alive and present in his followers. Christ lives in you, the Bible says. He lives in me. And so now Jesus uses us as his body to fulfill his desires and to accomplish his purposes here on this earth. That was why I drew your attention in our initial reading to where Paul specifically declares, look at it again, verse 27. He says to us as Christians, as the church, verse 27 you are what? The body of Christ. Even as Christ once had a physical body and did things on this earth, he says, you now, mystically, spiritually, you are now the body of Christ through which he uses your eyes to see things, your mouth and my mouth to say things, our hands to touch people, our feet to go to places and to do the things that his spirit working through us wants to accomplish. So in a sense, you and I become now the physical expression of the life of Christ on this earth. And to a great degree, through us, Jesus accomplishes a lot of what he desires to do on this earth in this time. And to illustrate this, he describes the human body and how it's composed and operates and how uh, of many parts. And that pictures the way that Jesus works through you and I spiritually. Paul says here in verse 12, in one human body, he says there are many members or many parts, your translation may say. But he says at the same time, all those various members of a human body, those many parts being many, are yet still one unit. It's, it's the makeup of, of one body. So you have all these different parts in the human body uniquely positioned in the places where God has put them, and each body part has its own necessary function. Each and every one of the parts of the body has a specific purpose to the body's existence, and though there are many different parts to a human body that are not the same, Still, all of the different parts in my human body are a part of this one bodily existence. Many different parts, but yet they're all operating interdependently, contributing something to the rest of the body, and at the same time receiving something from the rest of the body that is necessary. And Paul says in verse 12, in the same way that is true anatomically in the physical body, he says, verse 12, so also that same reality so also is Christ. The idea is, so it is also true in the life of following Jesus Christ. So that same reality, even as the human body and it operates, that same reality is true in the Christian life or being a part of the church or the body of Christ. One translation says here, the human body has many parts. The many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. So important we recognize that God has purposely arranged things so that in the church of Jesus Christ, the spiritual family, there are many different kinds of people. That's by design. Paul's going to talk more about this later on, that we have different life statuses, different identities, but yet we're all joined and operating together with purposeful variety and different functions, but yet each part matters to the overall health of the church to the overall function of the church. And it is fair to say, by design, we are purposely not able to supply all that we need for a healthy Christian life, but that God has actually purposely designed it whereby we need each other to experience the fullness of the expression of the body of Christ and that we would have to rely upon one another, support one another, and live interdependently. God's actually created it to operate in that way. That is, we'd operate in that way differently, but yet there's a unity and a harmony that we each bring in the process. Romans 12 declares it this way. For as we have many members in one body... 
but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we're to be individuals. We have our unique gifts and and life statuses, and that's all purposeful. And we shouldn't try and erase those identities and distinctions and difference because God has intended those things to blend together in harmony where we can each contribute as well as receive what's necessary for spiritual health. And he spends the remainder of the chapter discussing this concept of differences, but harmony at the exact same time. So verse 13, he then tells us how we became joined together spiritually as a family. He describes it. Look what he says. He says, for by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, of course, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So the Bible speaks how despite our different human identities that we do possess, that despite those things, through relationship with Jesus Christ, his followers have now been unified spiritually by a work of God. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have what the Bible refers to as our spiritual conversion. When we're born again or saved, the work of the Holy Spirit takes place in our life and we come alive spiritually, we begin our spiritual life. Yet also at that same moment of salvation or conversion, the Bible also teaches, verse 13 describes it here, that by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, all of us as well, he says, were baptized into the body of Christ. That is a spiritual immersion into this thing called the body of Christ or the church. And he uses the term baptized, even as in water baptism, right? We do that usually every summer. A person's physical body is fully immersed or submerged down into the water. He's saying in the same way, that's what happens spiritually. You and I, when we become a Christian, we are immersed into the spiritual family of God. We are submerged fully into, baptized into the body of Christ in a way whereby we become a part of this spiritual family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it all happens through, he says, the one and same spirit. The same Holy Spirit puts each one of us into the church family because it's the same Holy Spirit who all dwells each and every one of us, making us God's children. And notice he says how we're unified in Christ, joined together, and he even emphasizes verse 13, whether Jews or Greeks. What does that speak of? Different nationalities different ethnicities or races, the Jewish people versus the Greeks or the Gentiles, other nationalities. No, despite those human identities, which do exist and exist by God's design, he says, nonetheless, our higher identity is that we are the family of God. Our higher identity is that we recognize, yes, I may have a different nationality. Yes, I may have a different race, but nonetheless, what I am first and foremost is a Christian and I'm a part of the family of God. And that's my higher identity. And that's the identity I care about most and I emphasize most is that irregardless of some other identity I have biologically, spiritually, I'm your brother. Spiritually, you're my brother. I'm your, you know, we're brothers and sisters and we're God's family. And we emphasize that higher identity over all those other things. He also mentions as well, whether slave or free, and that speaks of different social classes. Those who were working and serving as slaves, those who were free men, and he speaks of different social classes, different statuses, maybe different wealth classes. Uh, These things do exist. Despite those human variations and social status, we're unified as church family. And again, notice the word of God has no problem identifying that people lived in different social statuses. In the word of God, there were rich and there were poor. There were people who lived in different social classes and God didn't say erase all the social classes. God said through Christ and the love and power of the spirit of God, those different social classes that do and will exist in a natural human existence They don't separate you, however. You can be young and old, and yet you have unity in Christ. You can be rich and poor, but you don't let those things divide you in Christ. You can have these differences, 
But understanding, hey, that's natural, but yet in Christ, we set that aside, anything that may divide us. And we don't focus on those things that the world becomes separated over. We operate as a family and live in harmony and care and support for one another. Now, how does that work itself out practically? That unity, that harmony, despite our differences. Well, first of all, it's by recognizing what Paul's describing, just recognizing the spiritual reality that we've been unified as church family so that whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, young or old, rich or poor, we're family. And when we recognize that and we honor that, that helps us. But the other thing that contributes to this working itself out practically is continuing to be influenced by the power of the Spirit of God working in our life. And notice Paul alludes to that in verse 13. He says the end of the verse that we've all been made to what? Drink into that one spirit. Again, the Bible often uses this analogy of the Holy Spirit being like water and and the need to drink water. There's a thirst and, and that water does something to keep us hydrated and keep us healthy. He says we're all to be drinking as Christians of the same living water that our Lord Jesus supplies to us from his spirit in order to be sustained and strengthened to live out a Christ honoring healthy Christian experience, both individually as well as corporately with the rest. And look, to the degree that we are all drinking in regularly of the life-giving water of God's spirit, to the degree that we're all drinking in continually the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Holy Spirit, we will experience greater harmony as God's people. We'll experience greater unity and greater family life the way that we're supposed to. Again, by way of illustration, think about it. A dehydrated body has what? Problems, right? A dehydrated body has issues. Well, by the same way, thinking of that analogy of the spirit being like living water, a church that is dried up spiritually has issues. A a church that is more interested in things of carnality and fleshly things rather than the the power and the experience of the spirit of God is going to have issues because it's like a dehydrated body. And when a body gets dehydrated, it starts to have issues and problems. So it is the drinking in the regular filling of the Holy Spirit for all of God's people being under his influence that helps us to have that family life the way that God intends. Paul says, verse 14 going on, for in fact, he says, the body is not one member but many. Now notice here, and again, other translations I fail to remember, though I often look at them studying, the new King James, which I'm using here, I love the word and have it kind of emphasized there that notice the word of God here states a fact. He says, in fact. In other words, this is a fact. The Christian life is not something God intends to be lived out alone as one member, but something we are to live out together serving the Lord as many Christians, even as one member or one part of my human body doesn't make up a body, right? If you took any part of my body, amputated it or took it out and set it over there on the floor, that's not a body. It's a liver, it's an arm, but it's not a body, right? A body is not just one member of a body. A body is all the body parts connected to one another. That is what a body is. And look, he's saying in that same way that that's true spirit or physically, that even as a body is joined and operates together, and that's a fact, we understand that, and one part can't make it on its own. He says, in the same way, it is a fact, and I love the way it says it, for in fact, the body is not one member. Please take note of that. The Bible says it's a fact. The body is not one member. One member is not Christianity. The church body is not just one member. And I say that this morning because from time to time, we can begin to kind of rationalize or justify in our minds for for all different reasonings from time to time. We can almost kind of, in our view, begin to think that one member of the family of God can just live for Christ and that's good enough. I mean, I've even heard people say, I mean, maybe you have as well, that you know, get disgruntled. Well, I'm a Christian and I love to read my Bible and I love to pray. I just don't like the church. I just don't like Christians. 
I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. I just don't like Christians. Well, that's a contradiction. And the way I've always illustrated that in my own mind is, again, Jesus is the head. The rest of us, the church or the body. Imagine how it would work if I said to my wife, I love your head from the neck up, babe, in love with it. The rest of you, the body, mm, no thanks. That wouldn't go real well, right? Those two things are synonymous. I have to love my entire wife from head to toe. And I do, by the way, for clarification. But it's to me, it's a bizarrity when people say, I love Jesus, I love the head, I just hate the rest of the body. Well, Jesus is connected to the rest of the body. You can't say that. We need one another. And the Bible teaches that Lone Ranger Christianity, where a person says, I'm clinging to the head, but disconnecting from the body. The Bible says that's not spiritually healthy. In fact, honestly, it's quite frankly, a contradiction to God's design. God's design is that we are to be many members connected together. And I would just say, be very careful if you find yourself from time to time thinking, well, I can be a Christian without the church. God says that's not the case. That's a wrong thinking in a real quick way to lead yourself down a path towards spiritual deterioration in that mindset. So Paul then goes on to say, verse 15, notice, talking about this concept of connection. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore, he says, does it cease to then become a part of the body just because it thinks that way wrongly? Of course not, the implied answer. If the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't think I'm part of the body. He says, does it therefore cease to be part of the body? So Paul identifies, notice here, a common struggle to healthy body life spiritually. And that's one of the common struggles is when people feel that what they are or maybe what they do in the church is inferior. Or maybe that it's unneeded, that it's unnecessary, that the perception that Christians can struggle with, and it's a wrong perception, and typically it's based in self-pity, where, where a person, notice it's characterized in both verses, you see the same phrase, it's characterized by this thinking, well, I'm not this, or I'm not like them, or I'm not, and because I'm not this, or because I'm not like them, the idea is I'm not really necessary. I mean, they don't really need me there at the church. I mean, I don't really, you know, have a, a sense of belonging or needing or a connection. He uses these analogies here again, physically. He says, verse 15, again, the foot saying, well, because I'm not a hand. The idea here is the foot being jealous over the hand. Well, and you can understand that, right? Think about your foot this morning. Where's your foot? Well, your foot got stuffed in a sock this morning, and then it got stuck in a shoe. And, and typically, you know, your foot is kind of just hidden away. It doesn't get much attention. You don't see anybody's feet. Even though they're standing here right now, you don't typically see my feet, but you see my hands a lot because I'm Italian and I talk with my hands. That part's obvious, right? And, and the hands do things. My hands grab things. My hands turning the pages on my notes and my, my hands doing functional things. And my hands, what, it's getting a lot of attention, right? Because the hands are outward. They're obvious. The feet are kind of tucked away. And the idea is kind of the, the foot saying, you know, oh, well, because I'm not a hand, I mean, I mean the, the hands get all the attention. And the hands get to do everything. They get to be involved in everything. What do I do? I just sit down here in a stinky, sweaty, smelly sock. What kind of existence is this? And what purpose do I have? I mean, I don't even get noticed. And the best I get is somebody notices they like the shoes that I'm stuck in. I'm, I, and, and the idea is that, you know, the foot's saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not important. The hands can just do everything. They can handle everything. They don't need me. Or he uses the analogy in verse 16 of the ear being upset because it's not an eye. Again, think about it, the ear. You know, who says, you have really nice ears? Man, you got nice ears. Who says that? But what do we say? Well, your eyes. Oh, her eyes. Oh, his eyes. And you can picture the ear. Man, the eyes get to see everything. I don't get to see everything. How come the eyes get to see everything? I don't get to see it. And everybody notices the eyes and, and compliments the eyes. And, and again, the ear kind of being jealous. You know, they know everything. Just because one part is not what another part is, it doesn't mean the ears cease to be a part of the body. The ears may complain and in self-pity feel inferior. My part's not as important, so I guess I'm not necessary. 
But he says that doesn't change the reality. The ear is still a part of the body, and it has a function. It has a purpose. Whether it likes its purpose or not, it still has an important purpose. And the same idea is true spiritually. Don't embrace the idea that, listen, you can disconnect from the family of God because the family of God doesn't need you. That is a lie. That is a lie from the devil of self-pity and discouragement. You are absolutely needed. God says you are needed by design just as much as each and every other body part. And your absence from the church family, when you disconnect from the people of God, look, biblically, the Bible says it actually handicaps the church, just like you can handicap a body. When a part of a body is missing, we call that a handicap. The bodies become handicapped, hindered in some way. And now it has to adjust and struggle more to compensate right, for the handicap. Well, Ephesians 4 says that each part, each part, did I say that yet? Each part doing its share, means every part has a share, each part doing its share causes growth of the body. Why doesn't the body grow? Maybe each part's not doing its share. And maybe other parts are being hindered and handicapped because they're trying to do the share in part of other parts that aren't doing their share. The Bible says this is an important part, that each part doing its share contributes to health and growth of the body. Paul says, verse 17, and if the whole body were an eye, think about that, one big eye. Isn't that a horror movie? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? So if the whole body were the same thing, and did the same function, it'd be right lacking. It'd be struggling. If you could see everything, but you couldn't hear anything, that would be a dangerous thing. Your hearing has an essential part. So there are times, what Paul's trying to say, that different parts of the body in the process or function they contribute are needed at purposeful and distinct times. And we should never discount or think, well, because that part's needed all the time, and I'm... We don't think that way. Each part has a distinct purpose that is absolutely necessary and useful. And the same is true spiritually. If we were all doing the same thing spiritually, that would take away from the fullness of what we all contribute working together as a unit. Paul says, verse 18, building on this idea, but now notice God. So notice God's determined all this. Ultimately, God has set the members, the body parts, each one of them in the body just as what? He pleased. So he draws our attention that we need to trust that an all-knowing and all-wise God has decided how these things are by his design. Again, thinking of the physical body. God has set each one of the body parts in the body just as he pleased. Do you think God did a pretty good job designing these human bodies? Right? I mean, it's pretty amazing, is the way God put our body parts exactly where they are to work properly. I mean, even the reality. I mean, imagine this morning if I came to church and my liver was sitting outside of my body. It'd be a little distracting, wouldn't it? But God's put it inside the body. God's put it right where he pleased for it to be so that it could be producing and doing exactly what it's supposed to do in the right way, working with other functions. And he says, look, in the same way God's marvelously designed the human body. He says in the same way, God's done that with the spiritual body. God has put each person in the role that he wants them in. He's caused each person to have gifts and unique abilities and to operate and serve in different capacities, whereby they contribute what's best for the overall body, according to who God made them to be. And he says, this is an important thing. Not only that, he says he's done it just as he pleased according to what pleases him. And that's ultimately what the goal is about. God, what pleases you? Now, from this, I would say there are a few lessons to be gleaned as well. For example, it's important that we as Christians humbly accept and trust God's decision in who we are in the church family. And that we just become comfortable with who God has made us to be. And even that we in humility, but at the same time in faith, confidently just accept who we are. 
and operate it in a sense of confidence that we become comfortable with it and we accept it and we just embrace and operate in who God has made us to be in the fullest sense. Because this is what we understand as well. God has put us each in the body where it pleases him and where we're of best use. I'll tell you this as well. Another thing we learned is that trying to be something that God has not created you to be or or called you to be or assigned you to do is utterly frustrating. For example, God has not called me to be a musician and a worship leader. I could try and do it, but it would not please God, and I certainly guarantee it would not please you. And it would be very frustrating. It would be very difficult, but thankfully, God has assigned certain people to do certain things, and when they do it, it's profitable for others, and it pleases God. And again, we can aspire to be this or wish we were that or try and become this, but it's just going to become very frustrating if that's not what God's intended for us and not what God's anointed for us to do. The highest calling of God, listen, is not to be this or to be that. The highest calling of God is to be who you are by the will of God. And to just embrace that and realize that is the most profitable thing that you can do. And in a sense, you might say, it pleases God most when I fulfill the calling he's given to me. It pleases God most when you fulfill the primary function that he has assigned for you and do it with the utmost faithfulness and zeal that God gives you by his spirit's power. Paul says, verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, he says, there are many members, yet one body. Do you notice the repetitious language? I mean, that's very repetitious. He's saying the exact same thing that he's already said in prior statements. Already, he's repeating himself, just saying it's slightly different. The Holy Spirit prompts Paul to reiterate what? The same point that he's already made. I mentioned some of this Wednesday evening. What is the reason for repetition or emphasis? Because that's typically how we get a point, right? Repetition, repetition. That's how we learn things. So no doubt the Holy Spirit is trying to emphasize saying the same thing just in a different way so we don't ignore this point. The point here in this, it must be important. If you glean anything from the repetitious language, God's saying, just in case you were starting to look at your cell phone during the prior verses, just in case you were distracted, let me just say that again, a little bit differently, but the exact same point again. He says, I just want to make sure that you grasp this concept and that you learn to respect the value and differences that are amongst you, that don't let those things bother you. He, he says, look, if we were all one member, where would the, the, the body process be? But indeed, he says, take the note, there are many members, yet one body. Again, the, the reminder to us is that I should be blessed by the fact that there are people different than me that are part of my church family. Instead of being bothered that every Christian's not like you. Instead of being irritated, if you're someone really structured and organized by people who are just very free and very flexible, and they don't always color in the lines. Sometimes they color outside of the lines. Look, be thankful because you color so much in the lines. When we need flexibility, you're no help to us because everything has to be organized and color in the lines for you. But people who are free and flexible Sometimes they're really necessary because in a last minute moment, give me somebody free and flexible. Don't give me somebody who's super organized. You see, and we should be thankful that I have limitations, but others contribute things that my limitations hold me back on because that's how we in a blended way balance, help each other to really be an overall unit. That's a very efficient body functioning together. Paul goes on to say, verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Notice nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. So Paul identifies another error spiritually among the church. And here it's thinking that we don't need other people. Earlier, he was talking about thinking people don't need you. Well, I'm not this and I'm not that. So I guess they don't really need me. They can handle it all themselves. Paul said that's wrong. Now he shows the other side of this ever wrongly thinking or viewing certain people as unessential and thinking somehow 
again, that, that people aren't important. Notice again, this is characterized by this statement, I have no need of you. That's a mistake too, to think you don't need other people, that somehow you're a well-rounded enough Christian that you can operate on your own independently. The I, he says here, verse 21, the I thinking it does not need the hand. Well, I have no need of you. The I cannot say that to the hand. I mean, think about that reality. The eye thinking it doesn't need the hand. So you have an eye. It can see what needs to be done. Can it do anything? No. It needs the hand to do it, right? So I can see the I can see it's time to turn the page on my notes. I can see it. Well, is it going to work if I go? Not going to be very effective, right? I need my hand to touch the piece of paper and to do what I can see needs to be done. They got to work together, right? He says in the same way here that the head thinking it doesn't need the feet, right? The head may know where you need to go. The head, we need to go over there. But how's the head going to get over there? It needs the feet to transport the head over there. So again, working in cooperation, the interdependence, that is how God's designed it in the physical body And it's the same to be true in the spiritual body. We need each other to experience all that God intends. We need one another to be able to do things in partnership. And we should look at each other that way. We should look at each other in the family of God. I need you. I need you in my church family. I need you as my brother or sister in Christ because I have limitations. And there are times where we have to do something in partnership Because neither one of us can do it alone. You know, the Bible tells us two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. Paul going on, verse 22, says, Now much rather those members, notice, of the body, which seem to be weaker are actually necessary. Notice, seem to be weaker. Sometimes we think something is less important, and it's actually the most necessary thing. And he says this can be true in the human body as well as the spiritual body. Sometimes we may think something seems to be unessential. Again, you know, what, what, do I, what do I need a toe for? Well, cut off one of your toes and watch anatomically how you struggle with balance. And all of a sudden you can't run and do certain things because you're missing a toe. What seems to be unnecessary weaker is actually sometimes something very critical. Your eyelid. How often do people say, man, I re- I'm so thankful I have eyelids. I, I mean, just my eyelids are one of the favorite part of my body. But your eyelid is absolutely critical to what your, it contributes to your eye. And again, these things that a lot of times we just overlook and we think are insignificant. Sometimes they seem weaker and insignificant, but sometimes the seemingly insignificant things from God's view, their function is actually one of the most important things. And again, we want to make sure we keep that proper balanced perspective. Paul goes on verse 23 and 24 to say, and those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on these we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable, that is our unseen parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. The idea is for recognition because they're outward. They already get recognition. But he says, God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Now, the language here almost kind of seems a little bit challenging what Paul's trying to say. It seems the main concept, building off of verse 22, coming to these verses that he's trying to say, is that many times it's the unseen, unrecognized parts of the body that actually get the least amount of appreciation, but they're sometimes the most absolutely critical to function and to keep the body healthy. Again, think of it just simply from the perspective for sake of time of our internal organs, right? How many times do we take notice of our internal organs? We, we don't, they're all hidden away, right? They don't get recognized. You don't recognize people's intestines and recognize their pancreas. And, but are those things absolutely critical? Our heart, our lung, they're all hidden away. God says, yes, they're hidden away. They're not outwardly presented and recognized, but they are some of the most critical and fundamental things to the overall health. And and God has hidden them away to protect them. And he says, that's actually God honoring them. It was God's way of honoring them. So again, God's way of honoring something isn't always giving it public recognition. 
And we should remember that from serving the Lord. Sometimes we're thinking public recognition is the great honor. Listen, that's what gets you honor from people. But God honors what's done in the unseen faithfully that nobody but God sees. And so many times we can make that mistake and God wants to keep our perspective proper. He says, look, God has established these things this way. Look, verse 25, he says, so that there should be no schism in the body. The idea is that there would be no division or separation. God has orchestrated things in this way so that we would recognize that we should not separate, have schism or division amongst us because that's not healthy for a human body nor a spiritual body. Again, when things happen among the church body, what do we tend to do, right? We, we anger one another, we get upset, we get offended. And then just like people in the world, we, we cut one another off. And Christians are famous for, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister. I'm just going to treat you like I hate you the rest of my life. But I said the words out loud. I forgive you, sister. I forgive you, brother. But the rest of my life, I'm basically just going to cut you off socially. And I'm going to disconnect you from my relational interactions. And we kind of like justify, okay, that's sufficient. Look, that wouldn't work with the rest of the body. You know, I don't like the way the finger performed. I'm cutting it off. I don't like the way the leg did that. I'm just going to cut it off. And he says, look. The body wouldn't function right like that. So as Christians, we shouldn't be doing that. We need each other. That's the whole concept. So we should never cut one another off because we need one another. Instead, we should learn how to, in love, recognize, okay, we had an issue. Let's work through things, but let's see the bigger picture. Even though we had an issue, let's not cut each other off. We need each other. God wants us to live interdependently. We've got to see that bigger picture and keep partnering together. Ephesians 4 says, as the prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, I beseech you walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Notice he says, endeavoring. We have to endeavor to keep unity. God's given us unity, but we have to endeavor to keep unity to maintain it by lovingly, humbly bearing with one another and walking worthy of that calling as Christians to be able to forgive and stay relationally connected. And instead of separation, what should we focus on? The opposite, Paul says, but instead that the members, verse 25, should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, he says, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So instead of any separation, we should have a fully shared experience because God's love is at work in our hearts towards one another's family. He says here in our verses that we should, first of all, care for one another. And that implies two things. We should care about how others are doing. Genuinely. Do you genuinely care about how other people are doing? And do you indicate that by, by your actions? Do you show that you care about others by trying to find out and know how others are doing and then not just care about, we should also care for one another. That is through practical acts of servanthood and doing things to show love and help one another, caring about one another and caring for one another. And also we're to enter into experience suffering together with one another. He says there in our verses, in verse 26, that if one member is suffering in some way, all the members suffer with it. In other words, when we see someone suffering, we don't just kind of see them suffering and, well, I'll pray for you, brother. But no, we should, we should somehow enter into that. They're struggling. We see them suffering. So we, we bring ourselves, hey, how can I enter into that experience with you? How can I help bear the burden? How can I suffer together with you through this process? And that helps kind of take that load of the pain and the anguish off of them by connecting with them in their suffering. We're supposed to do that. And on the other side of that, he says, when one member is honored, we should rejoice with it. Sometimes that's almost more difficult, right? Somebody gets blessed. Somebody gets honored in some way. God says we should embrace their victories and celebrate their advancements. That's almost harder for us to do sometimes. You know, God's blessing somebody to be happy for them instead of angry at them or jealous with them. God does something good in their life. Don't be envious of them. Celebrate with them. Praise the Lord. A win for one is a win for the team, right? That's the idea the Bible says we're supposed to have on both sides of suffering 
and being honored. And just in case you forgot, Paul wants to remind you one more time, verse 27, that you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God, he says, verse 28, has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps and administrations and varieties of tongues. So he describes that though we all have these different functions, that though we have these different functions, no function is superior and another function is inferior. He says that should never be our mindset. The purpose is what's in the best interest of the prophet of all. And despite Paul saying these things, notice he does indicate here in verse 28 for us, I believe by the language, a degree of importance in the operation of certain functions for the health of the local church. Notice he says, first, God is appointed in the church first, apostles apostles are those sent forth with authority to establish the church and again church planting is god's first plan for helping christians live fruitful lives as well as for evangelizing the unsaved world that's what the establishing of the local church is intended primarily for he mentioned second here god has assigned prophets those who speak forth the very word of God to people. And people need to hear what God has to say. In fact, many of these early prophetic voices brought forth what? The written scripture. That's what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1. And Ephesians 2 tells us that the early church built upon Christ as the foundation. It says it was with the apostles and prophets being the foundation layers of the early church. Thirdly, he mentions here in our verse, teachers. That is those who have a spiritual gifting to explain spiritual truth. Those who God has anointed by his spirit to prepare and communicate spiritual concepts to people in a way that they can understand it, that they can digest it and live it out, that it benefits them in their spiritual health. And isn't it interesting? He says, God has appointed first, second, third, these ministry functions which all those ministry functions, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, what do they do? They establish the local church and they teach the word of God to the people of God so that God's people may know him and know how to worship him and to be able to live right and impact the world. And then he says, and after that, verse 28, the idea there is an order thing. In other words, don't, know, don't miss here. He's saying, after these things, the establishing, the operating of the local church, the teaching of the word of God. After that, these spiritual experiential things in order. It's almost as if you see God here emphasizing to me in order that he's having an emphasis upon the ministry of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, even over spiritual experiences as a secondary type thing. Now, because we already addressed last time most of these manifestations of the spirit described in verse 28, let me just briefly touch upon the two that are mentioned here that are new that are identified. The first one being the gift of helps in verse 28. Though as Christians, we should all have a heart in the spirit of Christ to be servants and to help out in any way that we can, as Christ leads us to be a servant, the spiritual gifting or manifestation of the spirit, the gift of helps, is an anointing by the Holy Spirit upon a person's life that inclines that person toward doing practical acts of servanthood. So it's a spiritual gifting or anointing in someone's life to be someone who tends to lend a hand, to help out, to do practical acts of service, to do uh, things that need to be done. They see something that requires labor, and they tend to be the person who is prone to assist in practical tasks. These tend to be the faithful worker bees in the church, who do the practical things, cleaning the facility, doing building tasks and repairs, setting up and tearing down for events. They're inclined and gifted towards helping people in practical ways, doing a project for a single mother, helping out the elderly and the, the, the widows, doing things. And often they serve in unseen ways, yet what they do really helps. So they may not get noticed, 
why most people don't want the gift of helps. They want the noticeable gifts. But what they do, they do in the unseen ways, but what they do leaves people really helped and really blessed because they relieve burdens and take off stress and do a lot of work. The second gift he mentions here in our verses is the gift of administrations. And that Greek term used there speaks of one who steers a ship for navigation to guide the ship on its intended course. See, the captain may oversee the voyage of the ship and say, that's the destination we need to get to. The captain may oversee all the crew, and, 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 but it helps to have someone who has a gifting who can chart an orderly way to get to the intended destination that the captain says we should go to. Or to have someone who has a gift administratively in an orderly way, let's say, for example, to organize the workers or to organize materials or to manage things in an orderly way so it functions in an effective way and things get accomplished because there's order and management because of the administrative work. And look, these folks in the church have a blessed gift to bring order and structure so things get done efficiently. They keep things organized and provide organization as needed. Paul concludes verse 29 and 30, which is where we're going to end. Verse 31 attaches to chapter 13, just asking rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question means what? The answer's implied, right? That's the idea. And this will build to where we're going. He's asking questions where the answer's implied. Are all apostles? Implied answer? Go ahead. No, right? It's the end. You want to stay awake? Last moment. We're wrapping up. Are all the prophets? No, right? Are all teachers? No. Are all going to be used to work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings or experience gifts of healings? No, not everybody experiences a gift of a healing in their life on earth. Do all speak with tongues? This is a crucial one. Wait a minute. I thought if you're truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences is, wait a minute. Should we go by tradition of men or the word of God so that we're not ignorant regarding spiritual experiences? I'm going to just go with the word of God. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? God's word says for clarity, look, not everybody's going to function in the same way spiritually, and not everybody's going to have the same spiritual experiences. Paul's going to say, what's the most important gift? He's going to say, whatever gift is most helpful in a given situation. That's how God measures spirituality. Let's stand together.